Yesterday was a holiday that you may not have given much attention to. It's Armed Services Day, and I want to begin by, or Armed Forces Day, and I want to begin by acknowledging that. We have Memorial Day, and we have Veterans Day, and those are for different things. And, and Armed Forces Day is typically to honor those who are serving right now. And I really just want to take a moment to recognize and thank those people. And we may not have anybody that's actively serving now. I know Troy was here last week, uh, is actively serving in the Air Force. But if you are a current or even a, a former Armed Forces member, would you just stand so we can recognize you? Thank you. Thank you for your service. And if you have a family member that is or was in the military, would you just at least raise your hand? Okay. Look at that. Look at that. It's amazing. Amazing. And that is a sacrifice as well because you're, while they're serving, you're trusting God, you know, protect my child, my husband, my, my father, you know, thank you for, thank you for, for sharing them that provides for our, our country and all that we do. And I'd like to share a quote and then I want to pray for our veterans. And this quote is from G.K. Chesterton. He was an English writer and philosopher who lived from 1874 to 1936, and he once said these words. He said, the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. And I want to repeat that. The true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him or her. And that's us. They serve because we stand behind them, and we love them, and they love us and our country. So friends, remember this and let's have their back and be thankful for their service. Let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we are blessed to live in this country, a country founded on your love, your principles, and God, we trust. And Lord, even though society has drifted closer and farther from that original principle, Lord, our military exists to provide for our freedom and our way of life, a freedom that includes being able to gather like a congregation like this on this very day just all around this country as, as congregations gather and worship you, made possible because of the selfless sacrifice of so many veterans. Lord, we thank you for their service. We ask your guidance and protection over them and their leaders. Lord, we ask your continued protection for those who serve now in conflict areas, who, who protect our borders. Lord, we thank you for the families that have to put a trust in you while their loved ones are away the fathers, the, the husbands, the wives, the daughters, all serving to make this country what it is today. Lord, we need to be good stewards of our citizenship and thank them and thank you for that. Amen. So last week we talked about seeking the provider, not the provisions. And we kind of did that in conjunction with Mother's Day because Mothers are providers. And it's really important that we thank them for who they are and the way God sees them not just because of what they can do for us or have done or we think they should do for us, right? And so we wanted to, to really focus on God as the provider of everything we have, not just what he can do or what we want. But while preparing that message, I read these words found in Psalm 103, 1 through 5, and it's one of many Psalms written by David. And he writes these words. He said, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
And as I was reading those words in bed when I looked over and noted that Sherry was engaged in one of her bed, you didn't know I was going to talk to you about you today. Should have ran it by you. Sherry was engaged in one of her bedtime rituals, which is? I have to kill it or, you know, match a few candies. Candy crush. Candy crush. I see some Ned's nodding. Um, catch up yeah. <laughs> I mean, does anybody else do this? I'm going to say yes. We have our rituals and, 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 and you know, I'll be honest. Um, I don't spend every minute before bed reading the Bible or preparing a message. I do sometimes, but I have my own game that I play. It's a little different. Um, and we mostly do this just kind of a, de- a, a intellectual disconnect from the day, right? We wind down, even though we're getting fiercely competitive or whatever we're doing, it's a bit of an escape as we wind down before bed. And it really got me thinking, what is the purpose of any game, any challenge, or any competition? To win. To win. From the most competitive person I know. <laughs> so I've titled this morning, Hope, Faith, and Pac-Man. Pac-Man is one of those games that you, you progress through these um, increasingly difficult levels. You might remember the, the screen. These increasingly difficult levels. And, and you rack up points as you defeat level after level. And the, the, the ghosts move faster and things just move faster. But when do you win? I mean, how do you actually win? Do you ever defeat the game or does it just keep going more levels faster, harder, faster, harder for, for more and more points? And I'd argue that games like that are a bit of a no-win scenario. Yes, they're enjoyable, and yes, they're very competitive, but, but you don't win, as opposed to strategy games. These are the ones I like. Patrick, this is probably your thing. You like those strategy games that you can defeat. There's an end. There's a purpose. And if you do the proper, yes, the proper tactics, there is a finale, which is why I sometimes get to go to bed before she does. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some of the games you enjoy in an hour in your youth? What, what, what are the, the ones you do? Shout them out. I know Mark, you're a candy crusher. Pet rescue. What's that? Pet rescue. Pet rescue. Yeah. Woody. Clash Royale. Yeah. Woody's another one that I Okay. <laughs> They're almost addicting, aren't they? I'm not going to judge us for this. Okay. I'm just, I'm just trying to relate. But, and some of these are the same way. Some are ones that you can actually win and some you just continue to play and, that, and that's fine too. But each game has a purpose, whether it's to eat all the dots to remove all the candy, destroy the aliens, to get to the finish line first. And each game has its challenges. Maybe it's those pesky ghosts or, or there's a time limit you're trying to beat. Or the classic, there's shoots and there's ladders, right? Isn't that a metaphor for life? <laughs> but I'm not going to make a cliche reference to life as, as a game. I'm not. But I do consider this life that we live here on earth to be part of preparation for what comes next, right? A level, a, a, a purpose in this. In Philippians 4, 9, the apostle Paul advised, he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, he says, put that into practice. Learn and apply it. Philippians 4, you might, that might sound familiar because there's so many widely known passages that come from Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, right? But in every situation. Or how about whatever is true and noble and right, think about such things. That's Philippians 4 also. And of course, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, Philippians 4. Wonderful material. But for me, it's fun to be reading God's word and finding the location and the context of these verses that we're so familiar with. And I think that is a part of my enjoyment during our, our Wednesday night Bible study. You know, we are, we're using the first person accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to learn about Jesus' life in chronological order. 
and, and we keep coming across these wonderful teachings and stories that we know and we have heard and, and to find them again and read them in the context is, is fun. So I want to consider joining us or, or at least reading these on your own, the story of the life of Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul, who advises the early followers in Philippi, he says, put these teachings into practice. That's what he said. We just read it. And we can all agree that Bible tells us that this life, what you're experiencing now, whether it seems wonderful or, or miserable, or maybe you're in one of those wilderness seasons where it's just kind of not a lot going on, we know that that's not all that there is. In your time on earth, you won't continue to play against increasing levels of difficulty, even though sometimes it might feel like it, until it's simply over. There's more than that. There's no game over screen, right? If this was all there was, how depressing would it be? I mean, maybe there's some comfort in knowing that you can amass all the stuff and enjoy life without any repercussions, but, but we know that's not true. This isn't all there is. Consider these three scriptures. It's in Matthew 7, 21 that Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus is telling there's a kingdom of heaven and it's not here. This isn't it. There's a kingdom of heaven. There's something next. And in Hebrews 7, 24 through 25, Paul writes again, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Not once, period, but once and forever. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. The real life we live, the soul, our timeless soul, lives forever, even though our body, this experience on earth, may not. The Bible also says, Till all who received him, or to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was trust in him to save him. That's from John. But can you hear the common message in these three passages? There's more to life than the, than the one you're currently experiencing here and now. There is a kingdom of heaven that awaits. And Jesus is there right now preparing a place for you. He's prepared a place and he's kept a promise to those we've lost. Jesus is up there preparing that place. He's interceding on our behalf um, as he needs to so that we can be considered, so you can be considered a child of God and spend an eternity with your heavenly father. That's the purpose of this life. And this life, this, this time you're enjoying on earth right now is your opportunity to do a few things, to get to know Jesus, to accept the gift of his grace, to follow God's commandments, and not just the thou shalt nots, but also the commandment to love God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and all your soul, to love others as yourself and to go, or as Jesus said, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. Now, we aren't always good at that, right? That's why Jesus says, or why Paul says, put it into practice. Keep practicing. Keep getting better. Keep working at it. Life is not a game, but it has a definite and an important purpose. And, and God skillfully and intentionally created this world and everything in it. You were created, as Ephesians 2.10 describes, as God's handiwork that is created in Christ Jesus to do good work. If you're having trouble finding what that might be, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just you have not found that passion. And God will reveal it to you, either in advance or when you found it, it'll be, aha, this is it. This is my calling. 
And God revealed through Micah 6, 8 that you were, that you were shown what is good. You see it, you know it, you feel it, you, you read it in this book, you see it in, in the lives of others, what is good. And he says, what does the Lord require you? Once you know what is good, he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And God didn't create this world to be all there was. If there was, there would have been no purpose to try to save us. We know the familiar words of John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, no game over, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And because this isn't all there is, it matters what you do with your time here. It is the basis for which you will be judged. From 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. He will expose the motives of the heart. Does that bring you comfort or a little concern? Like the games that we play, there are challenges and obstacles to overcome. There are temptations that we face. That's life. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I have the right to do anything but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. That's the double-edged sword of free will. Galatians 5.1 talks very, um, very directly about that. It is for freedom's sake that we have been set free, but don't use your freedom to make bad choices, to do evil, right? James 1.12-13, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to who loves him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So think about that. If you feel like something's going on, maybe that temptation's not coming from him, but maybe it's not a temptation. Maybe it's a bit of a test. God does test us. How do you grow your faith? By having it stretched, by having it tested. A good father, a good mother, will sometimes let us struggle so we can learn a valuable lesson and be stronger and better for it. Remember, we're trying to get through this life and get better and better so we are fully equipped, fully mature in our spirit when he calls us home. And scripture tells us that everyone faces temptations in life. Even Jesus was tempted. And I love that because we can relate. We can't say, well, we've, we've got a savior and that savior doesn't understand life. No, no. He dealt with struggles and temptations, maybe a little different than we do now, but, but still anger, jealousy, fear, right? He was certainly despised to the point of death. But when we surrender to these desires, when we give in to these temptations, we fall into sin. Now, sin's a big deal. Whereas temptation itself doesn't have soul-impacting results. In fact, it can be soul-strengthening to face a temptation and be able to walk away, or in the case that, that the Scripture clearly says, flee that kind of temptation. But sin does have soul-impacting results. And we know these words from Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But, but, so there's an exception. The gift of God is eternal life in our Christ Jesus, our Lord. And another challenge of life, and I argue this has become an increasingly greater influence, is the presence of distractions. Things that take our time, our attention, our thoughts, even, even our love itself have existed since the beginning of time. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns the early Christians in Corinth of these dangers 
And he warns them. This is from 1 Corinthians 7.35. He says, I'm saying this to you for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Some of the best things in life can become a distraction, a temptation. Mark 4.19 says, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. This is Mark. This is thousands of years ago. Our temptations, our struggles aren't new. And in Luke 8, we find the parable of the seed that fell among the thorns and we know what happened. It was choked out. There was too much stuff in the way for the seeds to take hold. And during the weeks leading up to Easter, you heard the message series titled Making Room. And we focus on prioritizing and, and if needed, removing or setting aside some of the things that we allow in our life that take up the space that belongs to God. But another challenge of being spiritually successful in life is the enemy himself. Right? Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill a soul. He says, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In 1 Peter 5, 8, described as one that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, some of us, the big things can really clobber us, right? The big setbacks, the big losses. And some do okay with those and struggle with the, the, the frustrations, right? The discouragement. Prowling around like a lion. Think about that. Doesn't have to pounce. Sometimes he just needles away at what you think is your faith. That is the biggest challenge to you enjoying this life, not just having a life beyond this, but in actually enjoying the life that God wants you to have. So winning in this life is about getting to know Jesus. It's about having a relationship with God the Father and preparing yourself for an eternity with him. And winning allows you to live how God intended you to enjoy this life. He described this as abundantly or to the full. But here's the best news. This is the best news. This is not your home. This isn't all there is. And even if you've got the greatest life now and you're in one of those places where just things are clicking and God bless you, that's amazing. We celebrate that, absolutely. But it gets better. Listen to this promise from God's word, again from Philippians. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What comes next? The gospel of John captures it so well and that was part of our scripture, remember, but here are a few of Jesus' own words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now that may sound puzzling, but we know what that means. Your body may pass, you, but your soul will live even though your body dies. Or very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And the promise again in John, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to you. He's gone ahead to prepare this place. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Again, heaven is where God is, and heaven is where God wants you to be. He desires for you to be in heaven with him even more than you want to be there with him. 
And that's where you belong. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we tend to gloss over the topic of hell because it's uncomfortable and maybe even a little scary, and it should be. It should be. The fact is that hell is real, and just as heaven is greater than you can imagine, 1 Corinthians says, whatever you can imagine, whatever you can think or believe, it's greater than that. But hell is exponentially worse than that. And it isn't just the fire and torment of gnashing teeth that Scripture describes. It's the absence of God that makes it unbearable. You know, sometimes we feel there's an absence of God in this life. Where are you, God? We shake an angry fist and thank goodness he's got broad shoulders. So when we get mad at God, he can take it. But we shake our angry fist in frustration and says, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? Why is this person able to do this and I'm suffering? I, I believe in you. I pray. You know, because we think God's not there, but he is. Imagine if God were not actually there. Where's the hope? Imagine the eternity of that being truly where he is not. And that is what Jesus came to save you from. The book of Matthew includes such words as, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not where I want us to be. Matthew, again, Jesus' own words, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You know, we read John 3, 16 and 3, 17. We, could, we can do it from memory, right? For God so loved the world. But if you continue on, John 3, 18, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know, the, the scripture that Patrick read ended with this, this question. It says, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. One who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he says, do you believe me? That's your question. That's also your answer. Why would God allow a place like hell to exist? Because of God's holy nature, there are things that he cannot do. He's not gonna lie to you. He can't, right? And there's places he can't go. Jesus, I want you to be with me, but I'm gonna go do this. He said, I can't go there, and you shouldn't either. Evil is the absence of God, and hell is the absence, or sorry, evil is the absence of good, and hell is the absence of God. But you are given a pathway of salvation. No matter what you may have done or be doing, there is a way, repentance. It's a promise. Wherever you're at, there is a place that you can turn around. Repent means to do a U-turn and ask forgiveness. Confess your sin and, re- and, and say it. And again, God knows what you've done. Why do I need to tell him? God knows what I want. God knows what I need. Why do I need to pray? Because that is for you and your good. There is some true soul therapy that exists when you say, God, I messed up. I lied to this person, I, I, I yelled at this person, I, I did something like that. Please forgive me and help me to not do it again. Turn towards him and he promises he will forgive. In light of all this, do you need to make a change? Perhaps a change in your attitude or perspective. Young Timothy, uh, you know, uh, uh, one who was learning under the apostle Paul, Paul wrote a couple letters to him and it says, he writes, he says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, Hold promise, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Godliness 
has value in this life and the next, way more than stuff. Do you need to set aside some distractions and busyness so that you can focus on the purpose of your time here on earth? Do you need to get a better understanding of what real winning looks like and feels like? Do you recognize that the struggles and losses you experience in this life are just temporary? God wants you to enjoy life. Don't fear losing it. Don't fear losing it, but don't be in a hurry. (laughs) I'll tell you, I'm a bad patient. I'm a bad patient, aren't I? It's not uncommon for me to be chased around the house with a needle. It's been prescribed, but I still don't enjoy it. And what do all nurses say? They say the same thing. You're going to feel a pinch. There's going to be a little sting, right? But it's for your own good. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes you can't hear it over the crying. <laughs> Mine, not hers. But there is a verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 48. 48, 54 to 58. 54, yeah. Anyway, and that includes this phrase, oh, death, where is your sting? Right? It does sting for us who remain behind. It hurts. We miss them so bad. But for the person, there's no sting. It's just a second, and and they are with God in eternity if they know him. And then we celebrate, and it's hard to celebrate that when someone goes on ahead of us. So the question is, is it ever too late to start winning? Lord knows the royals keep trying to come from behind. We'll pray for them. First, you need to remember this. The victory belongs to Jesus and it's already been won. There's no got to play catch up. It's already won. We can choose to be on his winning team. And that's what he's asking. Do you believe? He bore your sins on the cross, 2 Corinthians. He took the punishment, that's Luke 16. And you can join this team at any time. You say, I have an open invitation. I got a handout. Luke 23, 43, God responded to one of the other men being crucified, or Jesus did, right? You know the story next to him. And he he says, will you remember me when you get to your father's house? And what does Jesus say? He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We're not even sure what this man did, but we know in literally the last moments of his life, said, I love you, I believe in you, I trust in who you are. I see you dying too. Will you remember me? He says, trust me, you'll be with me again soon. But why wait until that moment to claim this victory? Why miss any moment of blessings, of knowing and celebrating the goodness of God and Jesus and what he's done? It's the Apostle Paul who reminds us, Romans eight thirty seven. I mean, this is a part of that Romans road that we study. It says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We've more than one. Now, if you aren't sure about this thing we call heaven, if you're having trouble seeing how God's purpose in your life is good and fulfilling, if you're not even sure that that God has a purpose for you or that you will be able to spend an eternity with him, let's talk. That's why I'm here. I have some words of encouragement that are not my own. They are his, and I'd love to share them with you and get you connected to him so he can answer your questions and give you the comfort that you desire and need, the peace that he wants for you. They are... God's words, God's promises. So don't go another day without hearing and believing in the hope that already exists and joining the team that's already won. Now I've added an initial song to this morning's service and following this prayer, we're gonna continue our worship with a song of celebration and victory, but let's, let's pray. 
Father, again, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the promise and the hope we have. And, and Lord, that, that there's something more than this life. But we thank you for this life, this beautiful nature, this world of creation. Lord, we, we ask you to help us understand and appreciate it, to be good stewards of what you've given us, both in the environment and in our lives and in our own health. We know there's more to life, but we also know that it matters what we do in this life. Lord, help us to continue to seek you, to strive to be like your son Jesus, to follow the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts, to love others, to forgive others, to to seek these spiritual fruits of goodness and kindness and self-control. Lord, when we love you and we love others more than yourself, then all of us are better. What a world that would be. Lord, help us to do our part. As always, I want to thank you for this wonderful building, this congregation, and the 41 years that Golden Beach Community Church has existed. People have come through this room and worshiped you and celebrated you and cried to you and contributed to you in a way that gives us this place to meet this morning, this wonderful place. We thank you for all of those and all those that continue to worship and serve and contribute now. Lord, we pray that all we do this morning is glorifying to you. As we go about this day and this week, let us remember that the mission field doesn't start on the other side of the world. It doesn't start when we leave this parking lot. It leaves the second we get out of our seat because the person to our left and the person to our right, whether they are friends, neighbors, or our spouse, is where we are to begin leading others to you. God, we thank you for that opportunity and that calling. Amen.